should be tired. Yeah, students are retired. It's a better book. Students are interested in, interested in deep study of theology, of, of morality.
your word, uh, give an understanding to his wisdom, and open our hearts and uh, allow us to take in what you want us to learn today. Uh, we glory to you, and we thank you for your love. Good afternoon, and welcome once again to our time together here. We're glad you've joined us. Uh, just a quick reminder of what we dealt with yesterday. We came up with one short phrase, and I want to have this right up here so you can be reminded of it. God's gifts are for growth and to share His love. Will you want to say it with me? God's gifts are for growth and to share His love. An interesting story I came across not too long ago. His name was Mike Huckabee, governor of the uh, state of Arkansas. He had some bad news when he went to the doctor. The doctor said, if you don't dramatically change your lifestyle, you can die within 10 years. Desperately overweight and diabetic, the former Southern Baptist preacher, now governor of Arkansas, began a diet and exercise program that led to a 110-pound weight loss. And a new mission in life, helping others to get healthy. That's what he does, and he's become well-known because Arkansas, by the way, has 61% of adults who are overweight. What does Mike uh, Huckabee say? Governor Huckabee says, if we eat healthy and exercise and don't smoke, we can add 13 years to our lives, he says. The key thing is not just living longer, but living better. All right, do you believe that? We're going to spend a few moments here on this whole issue of how to live better, shall we pray. Holy Father, bless us now as we take a few moments in your presence to reflect on how you would have us live in the physical area. Thank you for the many spiritual blessings you have showered on us. Bless us now as we reflect on your desires, your will, your guidance for our physical lives as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Fascinating information. There is so much out there right now. But let's give you some biblical background for this whole issue. Why do we say this is important? Third John, that little book, couple, just one book or so before the book of Revelation. Third John, then comes Jude, then Revelation. Third John um, says this. I want to go to 3 John verse 2. There's only one chapter, so we say 3 John 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Yes, God wants us to be healthy just as our soul prospers. Interesting, God is interested in our whole being. Paul puts it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23. And he gives us this holistic concept. God is not only interested in one part of our beings. Look at verse 23, almost at the end of that first, book of the, first letter of Thess to Thess the Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All aspects, God wants us to be healthy. You know, it's interesting, even that last message when that angel comes along and says, Fear God and give what? Glory to Him. That actually also has the connotations of not just spiritual glory. How do I know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 is an interesting and quite a well-known passage by the Apostle Paul. 
Because he says here, talking about this whole idea of giving glory to God, the angel says, fear God and give glory to Him. Verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 10, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. Right. So when that angel comes along and says, fear God and give glory to Him, we see this, it's not just spiritually speaking, this is glory Him in everything we do. Romans 12 verse 1 repeats that idea and says we should be living sacrifices to Him. But why? The big question is why, and I want to be very cautious here because of the danger of us uh, saying, oh, we're living legalistically. Think and remember what I've said before. When you have been saved by grace, you then want to grow in faith. Isn't that true? You're saved By grace, you want to grow. So grace and growth always go together. We're in 1 Corinthians. Let's go back to chapter 6 now. Let's go to chapter 6. Look carefully as to why this is vital. Why is this vital? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the last two verses of the chapter, verse 19 and 20, say, Or do you not know that your body is the what? Is the temple. I'll stop there for a moment. We've mentioned three T's in the past. What were the three T's so far? Time, second one. Treasures. And yesterday was? Talents. Good. I told you we're going to have four T's. Here is the fourth T. And the fourth T is temple. Here it is. The temple. We are God's temple. The temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Whom you have from God. And you are not your own. Have you heard people say, Hey, it's my body. I can do whatever I want with it. Okay? Hold on. Not according to the Bible. Here's a serious call to being serious. Because if you accept Jesus Christ, if He lives in you, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Notice what verse 20 says. For you were bought at a price. What What does Paul mean? Bought at a price. How were we bought? By the precious blood of whom? Jesus Christ. He ransomed us. Jesus bought us with a price. Okay, therefore, because you've been bought, you've been bought, again, saved by grace. You've been bought, therefore, when you've been bought, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Because you've been bought, then you will bring forth fruits. Right. The same idea comes through repeatedly. We want to serve God. Now please, I want to pause here for a moment. I am aware that sometimes, unfortunately, maybe because of the way we've approached things, maybe because of the way we've lived, we have been perceived, either correctly or incorrectly, with that large L word. What do you think the L stands for? Legalists. Yes. Legalism. And we have been accused, maybe sometimes rightly, Okay, but I believe sometimes wrongly of being legalist. Oh, incidentally, you know that when you don't steal that person's car, when you don't sleep with that person's spouse, they never accuse you of being a legalist, right? Isn't that interesting? You see? But we've been accused of being legalists, and sometimes we have acted that way. I would like to say it's not legalism. We shouldn't be legalists. We should be loyalists. I heard a few say amen this side. I'm going to repeat it this side. <clears throat> We should not be legalists, we should be loyalists. Yes. I went and checked the dictionary definition. What is a loyalist? I said, I've got to be precise here. Listen to what a loyalist is. I love it. One who is, I'm quoting now, faithful in allegiance to one's lawful sovereign. Aha, what does that mean? Who is your lawful ultimate sovereign? God. 
So you and I should be loyalists. So I want to spend a little time here. And we do it because we love Him, obviously, folks. We love Him and we're loyal to Him. Spend a few moments on first issue, food. What does the Bible teach us about the very thing you're enjoying right now? Now, we want to take it into its, in its totality, okay? Because we've already mentioned, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, including eating and drinking. Go back to the original diet in Genesis chapter 1. Write some of these passages down because I'm going to go kind of rapidly today. I hope you haven't eaten too much because the ride might be rough here. We're going to go quickly. Original diet, Genesis 1 verse 29, where God says, I'm giving you all the... Uh, seeds and the fruits and those things. Genesis one twenty nine. After sin, God added in Genesis three verse eighteen. What did He add? The herb of the field. I heard of somebody who said, "Oh, I don't like vegetables. They came after sin." Yeah, that is true. Vegetables are not part of the original original diet. <laughs> okay. Yes, the original diet was fruits, nuts, and grains. But humankind sinned, and after we sinned, we then were reduced essentially to the level of animals because the herb of the field, the vegetables, were originally intended for what? For the animals. Fascinating. But now we do eat vegetables. We need it. So fruits, nuts, grains, vegetables, the diet that we inherited from Eden. Now, we're not going to forget there was the time of the flood. Genesis chapter 9, you want to just make a note there. Genesis 9, verse 3 and 4, you might want to go there. We remember the time of the flood when all life, as in uh, land and animal life, were destroyed during the flood, besides those that were on the ark. And so what happens here? When they come out of the ark, the Lord gives Noah instructions. This is way before any Jew was around. Remember this? This is the time of Noah. Genesis chapter 9, verse 3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I'm going to give you that context in a minute. I have given you, I have given you all things even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. Interesting. You've got to look at the broader context because chapter 7 and chapter 8 tell us, very interestingly, that the unclean animals came into the ark in pairs. Only two. The clean animals came in in pairs of seven. It's actually pairs of seven. Okay, they came in seven, seven, the Hebrew says. Pairs of seven. And why pairs of seven for the clean animals? Fascinating. Because the clean animals were used for sacrifices and God knew there wouldn't be any vegetables, fruit, nuts and grains left. And so God planned ahead. And those are the animals, obviously, that were for food. Fascinating study that was done by a friend of mine. His name was Yirji Moskala. He had a PhD already. He decided he wanted to do another one. I'm not the only crazy person on planet Earth. So here he went. <sighs> yes, some of you know I'm studying further. So he went and did a doctoral dissertation, his second one, on the laws of clean and unclean animals in Leviticus 11. And I had the privilege of being there at his doctoral defense when they flew in from Europe, a well-known, well-respected professor, not part of our denomination. That's the best way to test our own study. Bring in somebody who doesn't agree with us so that he can test whether our study of the Bible is accurate. And so Dr. Rentorf flew in from Europe. And I was sitting right there and I listened to Dr. Moskala defend his second doctoral dissertation on Leviticus 11. Fascinating study. If you ever have the chance, go to the library, get a copy, read it. called The Laws of Clean and Unclean Animals in Leviticus 11. Moskala. You know what he found out? That those laws really go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. The very order in which God created the animals actually shows what is clean and unclean. 
a fascinating study that clean and unclean. I just got a copy here of several pages of a book that's about 600 pages. A fascinating study how these laws go back to Genesis. And Dr. Rentorf, when he was, when the defense was over, Dr. Rentorf said, you have passed. You have done a careful, appropriate, solid study of the Bible and I cannot fail you. Incredible. So there's evidence, additional evidence now that we have that these are expectations for people for all time. And of course we find in the book of Acts again uh, a reminder, Acts chapter 15, about how we should eat, what we shouldn't eat. But uh, Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14 bring out a lot of these incredible truths. Sometimes we've said these are laws of healthful living. You know what's interesting? Leviticus 11 verse 44 doesn't use the word, the whole chapter never uses the word health. It uses the word, I want you to be holy people. That's why I don't want you to eat, eat these things. Fascinating. The whole context of eating is in the context of how can we live holy lives for God. It's interesting, which makes sense why when we get to the story of Daniel, you want to turn there briefly with me? Daniel chapter 1, when Daniel makes a choice, it's in the same context and he uses a specific term that you find right there in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. The very term there that's in the context of eating because we are God's holy people, Daniel uses it's used here in the book of Daniel, which Daniel himself wrote. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. There's the same term. God said in Leviticus 11, I don't want you to eat these foods. They will defile you. Daniel would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And what food did he ask for? Verse 12. Please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. That was his diet. And verse 20, the result, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times wiser than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. There are the results. Daniel is an interesting example of someone who said, I'm going to stand firm for what I believe is right, even though I might lose my life. By, by refusing the king's food, he could have lost his life because of it could have been taken as an affront. I don't want your food, O king. Fascinating research done by Dr. Melvin Nisley of the University of Southern California. He demonstrated that even moderate drinking of alcohol destroys thousands of brain cells. Now, I know you folk are here, most of you are medical students and so forth. How many of you have thousands of brain cells you are glad to throw away? It's continuing. It affects conscience, reason, and judgment. In fact, an article that just came out from one of the professors here at Loma Linda University called To Drink or Not to Drink, January 2006. He says, what are we to conclude? Skip the alcohol. In short, he says, act like an Adventist. <laughs> Interesting. There it is. I just read that article, January. In fact, there was a, there's a governor general of Antigua and Barbados, two islands in the Caribbean, Dr. Uh, Sir James Carlyle. Interesting story about him. When, he, when they have these big meetings at governor's mansion, everybody expects alcohol. He said, I'm sorry, no alcohol here. So they refused to have alcohol. And some people complained. And he said, wait a minute. Okay. Why are you complaining? Two of the biggest problems on the islands are drugs and alcohol. Wouldn't it be nice for me to point out that there was one place where we were free of both of them? At the government house. 
People are still standing firm like Daniel of old. Now, I'm talking about food, I'm talking about drink, but I don't want to skip a most important thing that I think many students especially have a problem with. And I found this article, somebody sent it to me, title, uh-oh, dire effect of skimping on sleep. If you're staying up too late and getting up too early, it could have a dreadful effect on your ability to learn. Why? Skimping on sleep actually impairs the brain's ability to create new brain neurons. Are you listening now? Lack of adequate sleep is definitely not good for the brain in the long run. According to who? Again, you've noticed I've quoted a lot of people from California. Again, California. Lead study author Dr. Ilana Hairston of the University of California at Berkeley told Reuters Health. It slows learning. And so I went to the Medical news today, lack of sleep's effect on learning. I collected quite a bit of material on sleep. You want to do better in school? They, the, the ultimate thing they say, how many hours do you need? Bad news, folks. Good news, whatever you want to call it. How much sleep do we need? Eight hours seems to be the golden number. They have studied those who sleep six hours, listen to this, make 11 times more errors than those who have gotten eight hours of sleep. The same amount of errors as those who haven't slept for two days straight. Okay, enough said about sleep. <clears throat> you can check out this fascinating information. We want you to be in the best health possible. Now, I've talked about the Daniel's example. Let's be contemporary. Contemporary example number one. I, I got this when I heard it was in National Geographic. I went and got two copies. It was too expensive for me to buy three, but I got them and I said, here is an incredible contemporary example of this. And what does it say? And Loma Linda, California. David McLean went in search of places where centenarians lived. He found three. One in Italy, Sardinia. One in Okinawa, where I happened to live and work as a missionary some years ago. And one right here in Loma Linda, California. Now the interesting news is this. He studied them and he concluded that the two groups, Italy, Okinawa, both groups are dying out. And he concluded that the only group that is growing, he says this on the video, is Seventh-day Adventists, the group that he studied here, he looked at, at Loma Linda, California. We got a lot to praise the Lord for, don't we? Yes, this evening, the lady whose picture is right inside here, Marge Jeton, she's going to be here. She's agreed to come to visit with us and to share in person for a couple of minutes some of their key ideas. And it says here, last year, when she turned 100, Marge Jeton renewed her driver's license for another five years. Uh-huh. And I had a chance to visit with her at, I won't tell you where she, where she lives, otherwise she'll be flooded with visits. But anyway... <laughs> What keeps her truly, what keeps, what truly keeps her going, she says, listen carefully, is her Christian faith. Yes. Again, people only this side say amen, huh? <clears throat> Let's try again. She and other Seventh-day Adventists, this one surprised me, and I hope it is true, she and other Seventh-day Adventists, hyphen, who avoid junk food and caffeine, continuing, tend to live four to ten years longer than the average Californian. She, she says, we need someone to guide us in this life and we need great hope, she says. God is a good friend to have. Yes. Okay, here's the story. She'll be here this evening and Dr. Gary Fraser will be here as well. They've summarized the key points as to how to live better. Looking at all three groups, they've said, interestingly, all three groups, Okinawans, Sardinians and Seventh-day Adventists, all don't smoke. 
all put family first, all are active every day, all keep socially engaged, all eat fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. Not all Seventh-day Adventists, no, we're talking about those who live to a hundred, okay? Those who live healthier and better lives. These are the secrets of the centenarians. And guess what, folks? I just came across another thing. Los Angeles Times, the LA Times, January 7, 2006. Heading, a city that runs on faith. I typed this in today into my Google website. And again, that's, you type those words in and up pops the article. Subtitle, Loma Linda. Famous for its groundbreaking medical center is led by Seventh-day Adventists devoted to health and spiritual growth. It continues, Adventism, a conservative Christian denomination, and the church's holistic devotion to people's health and spiritual well-being dominate daily life in Loma Linda, where biblical creationism and cutting-edge medicine exist side by side. Interesting. This is from the LA Times. Okay, They continue talking about Loma Linda, this very school. Dr. Leonard... Bailey says, he says, I think the health message has been fundamental to the Adventist philosophy of life right from the very beginning. And then it talks about how many years extra we live. I want you to get one line in your mind that we would like to share with you here. One simple line. Why do we want to live best? My way of life needs to bring souls to Christ. Do you want to say that with me? My way of life needs to bring souls to Christ. That's why we live healthfully. Isn't that true? Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. We'll come back to that phrase again. 1 Peter 3, verse 16 says it so beautifully. We don't want to eat a vegetarian diet or live properly simply, simply so we can live longer on the sin-cursed earth. We want to live so we can be a witness. I love this verse. Having a good conscience, 1 Peter 3.16, that when they defame you as evildoers, when other people say, legalist, legalist, okay? Notice what will happen. Those who revile your good man, uh, conduct in Christ may be ashamed. When they say legalist, they'll be ashamed because they see that you have this good conduct in Christ. Four words, good conduct in Christ. I love the way another translation puts it. I read this Bible some a uh, couple of years ago. It says this, so that others will, I'm quoting now, see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Yes. That's why. People will be attracted to Jesus Christ by the way we live. I never forget, I met somebody, I was in Virginia once on a race walk. And this guy and I walked together. We had a similar pace and we walked together and uh, we became friends as we walked got to the end of the race, and he turned to me. He said, man, who are you? What? And we talked. I said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. He said, I've only heard of one other Seventh-day Adventist in my life. I said, yes, tell me. He said, it was a guy who was in a car accident. He was so terribly messed up that there was no hope for his life. But the doctor said, this Jew, this was a Jew I was walking with, a nominal Jew. He said to me, the doctor said, if this man had not been a Seventh-day Adventist, he'd be dead. He said, that's the only other, other Adventist I'd ever heard of. What a witness. Witness to the truth that God has blessed us with. Now, it's not just the one aspect. By the way, the LA Times brings out more things. LA Times article says, Adventism is also distinguished by Saturday worship. We talked about that last week. It continues, by belief in Christ's imminent second coming. We're going to talk about that on Friday night. It continues, guidelines for daily living dietary restrictions, and conservative dress. And I couldn't help but share with you a letter I found that came uh, 
from two concerned grandmothers. Hang on here. The title, Teen Poverty in America. Two grandmothers said, We just spent several hours observing teenagers hanging out at our local mall. We came to the conclusion that many teenagers in America today are living in poverty. Most young men we observed didn't even own a belt. There was not one among the, the whole group. But that wasn't the sad part. Many were wearing their daddy's jeans. Some jeans were so big and baggy, they hung low on their hips, exposing their underwear. I, I know some must have been ashamed their daddy was short because his jeans hardly went below the knees. They weren't even their daddy's good jeans, for most had holes ripped in the knees and the dirty look to them. It grieved us in a modern affluent society like America that there, there are those who can't afford a decent pair of jeans. I was thinking about asking my church to start a jeans drive for poor kids at the mall. Then on Christmas Eve, we could go Christmas caroling and distribute jeans to these poor teenagers. But here is the saddest part. It was the girls they were hanging out with that disturbed us most. Never in all our lives have we seen such poverty-stricken girls. These girls had the opposite problem of the guys. They all had to wear their little sister's clothes. <laughs> their jeans were about five sizes too small. I don't know how they could get them on, let alone button them up. Their jeans barely went over their hip bones. Most also had on their little sister's top. It hardly covered their midsections. Oh, they were trying to hold their heads up with pride, but it was a sad sight to see them, these almost grown women wearing children's clothes. <laughs> However, it was their underwear that bothered us most. They, like the boys, because of their improper fitting for their, of their clothes, they had their underwear exposed. We had never seen anything like it. It looked like their under, underwear was held together only by a single piece of string. <laughs> we know it saddens your heart to receive this report on condition of our American teenagers. While we go to bed every night with closets full of clothes, nearby there are millions of mall girls who barely have enough material to keep it together. We think uh, their poorness is why these two groups gathered together at the mall, boys with their daddy's short, ripped jeans and girls wearing their younger sister's clothes. The mall is one place where they can find acceptance. So next time you're at the mall and doing your shopping and you pass by some of these poor teenagers, would you say a prayer for them? And one more thing. Will you pray the guy's pants won't fall off and the girl's strings won't break? We thank you all. <coughs> two concerned grandmothers... <laughs> Need I say more? Yes. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Yeah, I read that intentionally. We laugh, but we got the message. Now, I thank God, around this campus, I haven't seen too many people who walk around in their daddy's too short jeans. Ephesians 5 verse 3, and uh, too many girls I haven't seen. Maybe I haven't been around long enough, I know some of you are thinking. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3, why? Why? The big question as Christians, gets, let's get serious, why? Why do we want to dress? Why do we want to live in a certain way? Ephesians 5 verse 3 says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. I want to read another translation. I'm going to go back. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Okay? Go down to verse 8. And then finally to verse 10, continuing in this other translation, for you were once in darkness. You see that? But now you are 
Light in the Lord. What's the, what's the call? Live as children of the light. Live as children of the light and find out what pleases the Lord. There it is, folks. That's key. Find out what pleases the Lord. Live as children of the light. Find out what pleases the Lord. I thought I would read that to you so I can share with you a comical but a true state of affairs we are sitting in right now, right here. Oh, this article from the LA Times does talk about, yes, our uh, conservative dress. It also talks about other standards of the Adventist church. They say the traditional ones, uh, most traditional, uh, the most most traditional church members shun movies, dancing, and um, etc. You know what's interesting? study that was done right here, published by University of California Press, Berkeley, again, okay, 2000, two social scientists decided to do a study of the mainline Protestant denominations because something strange was happening, something that's hard to explain, but you see what's been happening over decades, people have said, let's be more open, let's be more accepting, let's be more loving, don't be so judgmental. And so these main churches, and I'm not going to name them today, if you're interested, I'll show you who they are later on, because I don't want to cast the Spurgeon on any denomination. But he studied them, and he looked at them, and uh, there are five I'm going to mention without giving the names. Church A, they lost. As they became more loving, so-called, more accommodating, they didn't stay the same, they didn't grow, they tried to bring people in by being more loving, and they lost more than 30 one-third of their members. Church B, 48% of membership loss. Church C, 46%. Church D, 50% membership loss. And Church E, 39%. Five major denominations, Protestant churches, as they attempted to be less judgmental, they let their standards go, is the idea. And the more they let their standards go, the more they became like the world. And people said, what is there to join? Mm -hmm. Why join? Okay? Now I know... If again today, if I'm stepping on your toes, please pull your feet in, folks, because I'm having to be walking down this way. I'm not doing this intentionally. I have to share with you the actual evidence. Here's the evidence. 43% denominational membership loss. I just read a report in, in Canada, another church there. They are expecting now that if constant trends, if these trends continue, by the year 2061, there'll be one member left in the whole church. And they were over a million before, a million and a half just a year or two ago. They know they are losing membership incredibly fast. Why? Because they have let their standards go down on the slippery slide. And that includes all kinds of standards that these churches did hold. They said, we want to be different from the world. You know what's interesting? At the same time, okay, this is from 1960 to 1990. And 1978, uh, Carl, I forgot his last name, he became Pope John Paul. From 1978 till 2003, they did a study of the Roman Catholic Church. And over the 25 years, when John Paul stood firm for Roman Catholic standards, guess what happened? The church exploded in growth. The Roman Catholic Church grew more than 40%, even though many Americans didn't like what he was doing. The church exploded in growth around the world. While Protestant churches were collapsing and declining because they wanted to be more loving, so-called John Paul was tough and the church exploded in growth. Fascinating. It's counterintuitive. If you want to read the article, I have it right here. April 11, 2005, Time magazine, where they reveal incredible evidence. When you stand firm for what your church believes, the church will grow. Yes, 
Dean Kelly, Methodist preacher who came to the Adventist church, they invited him to come and talk about church growth. Dean Kelly said, I don't understand. I'm a Methodist. Why do you guys ask me to come and talk to you? Our church is dying. Your church is growing. Dean Kelly said this, if Adventists want to stop growing and begin declining like everybody else, all they have to do is emphasize that abstinence from alcohol, tobacco, and caffeine isn't really essential to salvation. Decide that vegetarianism isn't all that important. And foot washing, it's a little tacky. And he continues, in a nutshell, Dean Kelly says, you want to die? Become just like us who are supposedly more loving. Okay? Are you folk listening today? We have a choice. And I'm speaking, I said, we're going to deal with some specific Adventist beliefs. Today I'm talking about standards, health, yes, how we dress, how we live, all for that important phrase, so that people can see us, my way of life needs to bring souls to Christ. You want to read it with me? My way of life needs to bring souls to Christ. That's the whole idea. That's the whole purpose, folks. Now, I know there are some who say, oh, but there's not, the, the Bible is not clear on some issues. A friend of mine wrote an entire book called Jewelry in the Bible, director of the Biblical Research Institute. And incredible evidence, Angel Rodriguez correctly ends saying this one line, the Adventist standard on jewelry is supported by contextual analysis of the biblical text. If you take the text out of context, you can prove anything. A text out of context is a pretext. A pretext for whatever you want to believe. But that's the sad fact. I want to share you a short story before I end here. Her name was Val. She was interested in uh, our beliefs. And when I found that out, I began to have Bible studies with her. I noticed, by the way, right away that she had on a special pair of earrings that she wore quite regularly. I said nothing about that. What did I say? I said, well, you want to get to know Jesus? Spend time where? In the Bible. And I gave her a copy of the New Testament, encouraged her, read the Word, read the Word, read and feed. Remember that? Feed and read. Spend time in the Word. Fascinating. It wasn't long, a few weeks later, we, she came back for the Bible study, and guess what? No earrings. And me and my curiosity, I couldn't keep quiet. <laughs> I had to say, well, I noticed. You told me that those were very, very precious earrings. She had told me about them. She, these, she said, are my grandmother's earrings, heirlooms, very precious. I said, I noticed you're not wearing them today. Do you want to tell me about it? She said, oh, oh, casually. Oh, I was reading in the Bible. And I notice in the Bible that my Bible says a woman's adornment should be an inward adornment, not external. So I took them off. Wow. I hadn't said a word about it. I hadn't said anything. Focus. We had to focus on Jesus much more rather than on the jewelry. If now I'm not saying we should ignore that, but our emphasis must be in the right place. Focusing on God, not so much on gold. Okay, When we focus on the right place. Now, again, I'm not minimizing the one or the other. When, when, when the disciples and the Pharisees came to Jesus, Jesus was very clear. He said, these ought ye to have done. He's talking about things such as jewelry in, in the context. Because he's saying, we mustn't ignore the weightier matters of the law. Remember that? Justice, faith, and mercy. But he says, we should also do the smaller things. He said, you should be faithful in tithing everything. Matthew 23, 23. Don't throw out the one because you're emphasizing the right one. The problem with the Pharisees, and sometimes with modern-day Adventist Pharisees also, is we emphasize the wrong thing. Okay? But Jesus says, you must focus on the right area 
truth, justice, focus on Jesus, and also take care of the other aspects. Please notice, he doesn't throw out one or the other. He's simply making sure we have the right foundation, the right balance. And as I watched and I listened, I was pleasantly surprised to see this young lady's whole life beginning to be transformed because she was reading the Bible. That's the emphasis. Focus on the Bible, not the baubles brought about that behavioral change. Very important. Focus on the Word of God. Focus on the Bible. Folks, we have a choice. In fact, today I've ended a little earlier because we've got some slips of paper. Do they have them already? Okay, you guys are going to hand them out. I want to challenge you because with the statement here on the screen, those of you who believe in living God's way, I'd like you to look at the uh, questions on this. There is one question on there I would like you to look at. And it's my desire is to live so that others will see Jesus through my lifestyle. That's the key we're talking about here. We're not talking about legalism. We don't want to be legalists. We want to be loyalists. Do you agree with that? Yes, we want to live for Him. Today, I've covered a large amount of material. I've breezed through it very quickly. I have a lot more information here, but I want to emphasize that it is time that we challenge one another to live for the Lord. There are some verses I haven't talked about. Philippians 5, 2 verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We want the mind of Christ so that others can see Him through our very lifestyle. Another one I have here is Philippians 4 verse 8. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, you know that passage? Turn there as, uh, as you look at that little slip of paper because we're going to make an appeal to you right here. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The appeal is simple today. Is there anyone here as you look at that little piece of paper, who wants to say, Yes, Lord, I desire to let Jesus' life be seen through my very lifestyle. That's the specific appeal today. We'd like you to fill that out right here prayerfully. Fill it out quietly, making that appeal. There are other things on that paper you might want to answer or, or uh, uh, write down as we reflect for a few moments here. But take a few moments right here. And while you do that, I'm actually going to be praying for you. And then we'll dismiss. Lord, I pray for every soul here. You've blessed this church with such wonderful messages. Messages that have brought us to the attention now of the entire world through National Geographic, CNN, ABC, news all over about this group of people. Those who have lived faithfully, the loyalists, we do it because we love you. Thank you for this positive news out there. I pray for everyone here, those who are reflecting on signing, writing down their decision to live for you so that others will be attracted, not to us, but to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father, for this challenge, for this call. May we live for your glory only. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now I'm going to ask you to, to leave very quietly today. Some people are still answering and writing. We would like you, if you feel free,